John chapter 2. If you haven't said hi to your, the person you're sitting by, make sure to say hello. Don't gossip. Just say hello. John chapter 2. Verse number 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. We bought a new screen, ladies and gentlemen. Because people were complaining, I'm tired of looking at the wall. Only in America that happens. But anyways, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, six, there were there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece, which is two or three bathtubs. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs uh, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory or his goodness and his disciples believed in him. Today we're going to talk to you from this subject for the next 27 minutes and 30, 29, 28 seconds, stop it, um, about transforming water into wine. Amen. Don't get too happy. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. We ask that your word bring forth much fruit uh, so we open our hearts to be the, the ground of soil that your word, the seed of your word would bring forth much fruit. We love you today. We bless you, Jesus. And we thank you for this opportunity to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, You can be seated today. Um, I read a statistic that said 75% of people are terrified of public speaking. Um, in fact, the number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So you'd rather die than publicly speak. Um, I'm an uh, outlier, though, of the 15%. I happen to be speaking in public today. To God be the glory. <laughs> to God be the glory. So I don't have a problem with uh, public speaking. The thing I have to be very careful with is not communicating everything that my brain thinks. So when I'm publicly speaking, I'm really focused and intent on communicating the word, communicating a thought. But there's this other part of my brain that is watching what's going on, who's falling asleep, who's walking around, what baby's crying, who just brought a dog to service, don't say anything. Uh, where's that person? I missed them this week. Where are they? Somebody call them. And so there's this whole conversation happening in my head. I thank God. You know, uh, my wife, uh, I thank God for my wife because uh, after every service, if you come to the one o'clock in Spanish, it's the best service because my wife has filtered me for the first two. She's like, you cannot say that in the next 
service. And then it just gets better and better. We save the best for last. Um, amen. See you at the one o'clock. And so if, if I said everything I think, uh, this church would fall apart. To God be the glory, he gave me somewhat of a filter. Uh, I do wing it a little bit. So you got to give me like 10% of like 10% of the stuff he says might be uh, inappropriate or something like that. So we just going to give, get, we're going to pay our tithe on that and give him 10% of a mess up. You try to speak 20,000 words without messing up 2,000 of them. And so um, I, I, I was thinking about this, but uh, because I'm kind of winging it, and we're just kind of having a conversation, and we're working through it. We're, we're surfing through the crowd. We're, we're surfing online. We're figuring out what the Holy Spirit's saying, and sometimes we get mixed up, whether it's me or the Holy Spirit. We get back in the Holy Spirit lane, but one of the things that I don't risk is I don't risk people's weddings. I stay on script for their weddings because I will not be the pastor who messed up your wedding. Anybody getting married soon? Nobody getting married. Okay. <laughs> Many divorces, just joking. <laughs> um, that, once again, it will do better at the one o'clock. Don't worry. Um, we'll edit that. <clears throat> so when it comes to the script for what it's a specific script, I literally take the note card and I read it to the people. I don't want to connect with the crowd. I don't want to make anyone laugh. This is not my moment. This is their moment. When it's time for them to kiss, I slide to the side. They get a picture. It is their moment. I will not mess it up. But I still have the challenges of other thoughts happening in my brain. And I kid you not, I was marrying this couple. Uh, and the groom and the bride are standing there having this sacred moment. And all I can think about is the groom's ex-girlfriend's uh, name, and I couldn't remember the bride's name. Imagine if I would have said, I didn't say it, I just thought it, so thank God I didn't say it, um, and so let me just minister to someone. You don't have to say everything you think. Somebody say amen to that, um, and so I, I, I read the name, but in my head, it's like, please don't say it. Please don't say it. Like, focus, focus, read the notes. Just stay on script. But there are a lot of things that can really mess up a, a, a wedding, and one of those would be me calling out the groom's uh, ex-girlfriend's name at their very sacred moment. Another one would be the bride who falls and gets blasted on YouTube for the rest of her days. Somebody forgets the rings. That's a marriage fail. Uh, wardrobe malfunction. My wife said I can't say what I said the first service. Go back and watch it. It was so awesome. <laughs> a drunk bride or drunk groom that shows up or a drunk priest, not this one, but a, a drunk priest somewhere. Family drama at the wedding. Can I get a witness? What about uh, somebody objecting to the marriage and confessing their secret love for the groom or the bride? Vendor issues, food didn't show up. The bride got scared and we had a runaway bride. Technical issues, allergic reactions uh, of the bride or groom. Someone passes out at your wedding. Somebody dies at your wedding. They're giving CPR. Do we stop the wedding? No, we don't. It's for better or for worse till death do us part. <laughs> we keep going. We just focus. If we get through this wedding, nothing's going to stop us. 
the weather, terrible weather, it's raining, it's pouring. These are all marriage fails. When I think about the scripture in John chapter 2, uh, the creator of the universe sends his only begotten son. And Jesus' first miracle is not opening the eyes of the blind or flying through the sky or doing something spectacular. His first recorded miracle is turning water into wine. Now, if you're religious today, you're like, it was only 2% alcohol in those days. His mom made him do it. However you view that, his first miracle is turning water into wine. And this is how it happens in John chapter 2, verse number 3. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. This, in those days, was the most epic marriage fell in history. Because it wasn't like American weddings where you're like, there for two to three hours. It was for several days, up to seven days, that they had this party and celebration and this feast for the wedding. And it was the responsibility of the groom to provide the wine. We see where the problem started. And so he was supposed to supply the wine, but there was so much demand that he didn't have enough supply. To run out of wine at the marriage festival would be a disgrace for generations and to the family. It would bring embarrassment and shame. I want to ask you today, metaphorically speaking, what do you do in life when you ran out of wine? Or when you've come up empty because the demands of life seem to keep demanding on you and you no longer have the supply to meet the demand and you end up feeling empty. There are categories of relationships and there's a, a, a verse in Proverbs 30, chapter 15, uh, verse 15 through 16, it says this, the leech has two daughters that cry, give, give, there are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. It's the grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire that never says it's enough. The thing about leeches is they have two sets of teeth, and, and when they attach to you, they have um, a numbing agent in their saliva, so you can't feel them biting you. And then they begin to suck your blood. So often, you don't know your friend's a leech until it's too late. Because you can't feel it until you start feeling empty on the inside and a little lightheaded. And you look down and you realize you have something that's stealing from you the life that you've had. And you didn't realize that you were in situations. And you didn't realize your schedule was so busy. But that every time you were doing something, it was taking a little something from you. It talks about the grave and whether that's the reality of our own mortality or losing those we love and the limitations we experience in life. It takes something from us. The barren womb represents, in those days, harlots who would, who would, uh, who would do the act of intimacy without the fruitfulness of intimacy. And so they would create connections. But have you ever been there before where you created so many connections, but they didn't leave you fulfilled, they left you empty? It's like the more friends you got, the lonelier you became. 
It leaves us empty at times when there's no true intimacy. The land that never says it's enough. Sometimes you can walk into an atmosphere and the atmosphere itself drains you. And sometimes you experience the fire that consumes and you're in a consuming, anxious situation where you're up at night tossing back and forth in your bed. Everyone and everything takes a little something in life. And sometimes the supply we prepared for is not able to meet the demands that come at us. This is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to those who felt this way. He said, are you tired and worn out and burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What do you do when you've ran out of wine? What do you do when you feel empty inside? The scripture says in John 2, 4 through 8, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And there nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out. And take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. I think we can all agree that we want a water into wine miracle today. At least Mike can agree that we want water into wine. We want poverty into riches. We want sorrow into joy. We want hope in helpless places. We want our husband to quit acting up. We want our wife, nothing, just keep going. We'll edit that one too. We want water into wine, but a lot of times we don't want water to water pots. We want the outcome, but we don't want the process. We want the miracle, but we don't want to be the worker in the miracle. And a lot of times we have a Christianity where we want abracadabra Jesus to turn it around because we said, in the name of Jesus, right now, Father, whoo, the God of the universe, right now, who are you talking to right now? Like, like you're talking to your dog, right now, get over here, sit down. Jump up, turn over. You're talking to the creator of the universe right now. Water into wine. Right now, change my spouse. Right now, change my circumstance. Right now, water into wine. Jesus, he doesn't give them water into wine. He gives them a project and gives them work. I want healing right now in the name of Jesus. In the name, and then we sometimes we do this. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, don't think anything bad. In the name of Jesus. You want healing? Quit eating all that sugar. I know it's Halloween, so you don't like this right now. You want healing? Go to the gym. 
Go get six dumbbells and fill them up with weights. Oh, we got quiet here today. Heal me right now. Quit eating fried chicken all day. God, I want, I don't want to be lonely. Give me a relationship. You got some work to do before you could be in a relationship. You can't even pick up your drawers to put them in the basket. And you're still married. Amen. I want a miracle. I want to be financially, God, turn my finances around. Well, turn your debt around and quit borrowing money you know you ain't never going to pay back because you can't steward what you have. You ain't never going to pay that one back either. I saw it on Instagram. They said I can get free money from, from credit cards. No, you can't. You're going to pay for it. And you're probably not going to pay for it. And then you're going to go bankrupt three times. God, I want my finances to be well. Then you got to be willing to do the work to get your finances well. Can you work through it? And can you build beyond it? Once you've lost the celebration and the joy and the wine, and you have nothing left, and you're facing discouragement, and you're facing shame, once you've lost in life, what do you do to deal with the loss? Are you willing to do the work it takes to process through the loss that you've experienced? Are you willing to go through what's left? Would you rather numb it, avoid it, run from it, or would you sit in it and go through the pieces? Sometimes the hard work of grief and sometimes the hard work of life is not working harder to avoid it, but working harder to sit in it. Imagine uh, this house that's been tore apart into thousands of pieces by this crazy hurricane. The family that avoids ever going back because the memory of what was is too painful for their situation now. Are you willing to go back to that place of brokenness and, and sit there and cry over lost memories and laugh over moments and broken pictures that, that don't exist the way they used to? Are you willing to put things to the side? Are you willing to get your hands a little dirty and to go deeper than you really, really want to go? Or would you rather run from the brokenness? Or would you rather act like it didn't happen and put your head under the covers? Are you willing to work at the deepest level and, and, and lean in and become a student of the season that you are in in your life? My son, uh, the other day, he told me, hey, I got a plan when you die. I said, my God, I might outlive you, kid. You keep talking to me that way. But I, I was kind of, I was I kind of thought about it, be, because that would be a great loss for him. But I believe people can uh, can overcome loss by going through it and setting in it, and by building beyond it. And sometimes it's not God just gives you the future. Sometimes it's one breath at a time and one step at a time. Sometimes it's the hokey pokey. You put one foot in and one foot out. But it's moving forward slowly, weeping and laughing and crying and hoping and despair. And it's building a little bit by a little bit by
by a little bit. And one day you look back and you say, I built beyond where I was, and I'm thankful for what was, but I'm thankful for where God brought me. I remember my late wife, she passed away, and we had all these clothes uh, in, in the closet. And I remember uh, getting up kind of with this triumphal attitude of like, I'm going to move the clothes. And I went to move the clothes, and I had this panic attack, and I was weeping, and I fell, and I could smell the scent of her on the clothes. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you got more work to do. I got more work to do in you. And I only want you to move at the pace that your heart is healed. And six months later, seven months later, eight months, looked at the clothes. And as time went on, I went and I bagged up the clothes and I put them up and I had a little tear and a little smile because God gave me the strength to build on. And some of you, maybe you don't have the strength to build today. Sit in God's grace because one day God's going to heal your heart if you do the work, if you lean into the season you're in, if you become a student of where you're at and say, I'm going to build beyond where I currently am. We want a miracle, but sometimes we don't want a process because a process is work. And a process is waiting. And a process makes you have conversations that you don't want to have. A process makes you look in the mirror to confront the sides of you that everyone else is confronting that you don't want to touch or talk about. A process makes you get your hands dirty. And God gave them a project. Jesus at the wedding gave them a project so he can give them a process so he can lead them to a miracle. God, I'd rather just have the miracle. Water you turned into wine. Woo. Open the eyes of the blind. Jacoby said this. No. He, he, he wasn't there for me, but it's cool. God, just, just turn it around by this time tomorrow. But he looks to Nicole, Coley Cole. It says, bring six water pots. These water pots were used for purification, ceremonial baptisms. In the Jewish uh, culture, they would take these water pots and they would get it from the water, uh, from the rainwater, and they would take the rainwater for baptism. And it was called literally the living water. And I could imagine them being like, I don't want water, I want wine. I don't want H2O. I want wine. And he says, fill them up. Fill them with water. I think it's like 70% of our body is made of water. Fill them with water. You know what's the team? They try to tell me, like, we can make this analogy way more quick. And I said, no, the process is not quick. We can tighten it up a little bit and have three people do it. No, no, it's not, about, it's not about it looking good. It's about it being done. Fill it to the brim. Why, why, you got to pour a little bit more over here. He says, fill it up to the brim. Fill it to the brim. Pour out. It's not enough. Go get some more water. Coley Cole. 
well, this is uncomfortable. I wish the analogies we use in church were as pretty as our life, but sometimes it's awkward, and it's waiting, and it's pouring, and it's wondering, and it's hoping, and it's doubtful. It's like, what is this guy talking about? And Jesus says, pour it to the brim. It's more work. But he says, now I want you to draw out of the water. How did he do that? I want it to be stronger than your last season. Look it, you don't know where it came from. But she put the water in, she got the buckets, and she knows where it came from. Some of you are here today, we don't know where you came from, but you know where you came from. Some of you should not have the peace you have today, but you know where it came from. Some of you should not have joy today, but you know where it came from. Some of you should not have been worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you're supposed to be bitter at him and you're supposed to be cursing God and dying. You, they don't know where it came from, but you know where it came from. You know where your joy and peace and Holy Spirit came from. You know your strength came from the Lord. You didn't do it just because you filled up the water pots. He did it because he said, if you give me your life, I'll make it brand new and stronger and better than before. If you just think for a moment, that most of the people around you don't know where you came from and don't know the work that you've had to do to arrive here. That's why haters are funny because why are you hating on where I arrived? You didn't see the process that I had to walk through. Why are you mad at me when I'm doing well? If you know where I came from and you know who brought me out, you would, you would celebrate with me. You wouldn't be hating on me. They didn't know where it came from, but he knew. You knew where it came from. I'll close with this. Thanks, Cole. John 2, 9 through 10. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from. And though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you saved the best till now. Most people, most people bring out the best first. You know that in relationship. First date, they put one foot forward, their best, and then the other foot comes dragging along. You ain't seen flowers since 1984. That's typical of humans. When I was dating my wife, we'd go on helicopter rides, mountain Mondays, and sometimes my friends would be like, hey, when's the last time you've been on a helicopter? <laughs> It's human nature to give your best first and the rest later.
But with God, it's not just over-promise and under-deliver. You save the best for last. It keeps getting better. This is a how we know and why Jesus did the miracle of water to wine because in Isaiah it said that the olive tree will be beaten and that the grape vineyard harvest would come which means we would know that the Messiah is here when there is an abundance of wine wine was the, the, the the pinnacle point of the contract of that covenant of marriage coming to that place where wine was the celebration of a new covenant. So bring the old covenant of washing yourself. Bring your efforts yourself. Bring bring your baptism yourself. Bring your way of living yourself. But I'm going to make a new covenant with you that it's not going to be by your might and not by your power and not by your efforts or earning. It's going to be by His Spirit. And it's going to be better. It's going to be water to wine, from religion to relationship, from fear to faith. This is what the scripture said in Isaiah. He said uh, that he'll trade us this garment of heaviness for a garment of praise. Ashes for a beautiful crown. Water into wine the ordinary into the extraordinary. And we go through this process and we see God himself coming and saying, listen, some of you, your life feels watered down and you don't have joy like you used to and you don't have peace like you want to. Your, your life seems tasteless and you're going through the routines and the motions of life and just making it by and just figuring it out. And God says, I want to turn your joyless drink into a festivity, into a celebration, into a party that the groom has come and taken the place of, of, of the provider and has provided joy for you in areas of your life you cannot provide for yourself. The groom has come to bring a party and to celebrate and to give you new life and life more abundantly. Not one with you climbing the ladder, but him climbing down on a cross and saying, I'm going to take on your sin and give you my righteousness. I'm going to take on your worries and give you my peace. I'm going to take on your fears and give you my faith and you're going to have the quality of life that I've come to offer you. Bring me your water and I'll make it into wine. I'll make it sweet again. I'll make your heart beat again and and you begin to experience life in new ways. Just bring the water. Job 42.12 and for my third closing tonight, it's not tonight, but we can go that far if you'd like to. The guy lost 10 kids, all his employees. His wife didn't believe in him. And you get to the end of Job, who represents this kind of human suffering. And the scripture says that the second half of Job's life was better than the first half of his life. How was it better? Did he have 10 better kids? 
Did his wife change her attitude? Did he get his businesses back? Perhaps. But let me propose this to you today. It wasn't just that it got better. Through the process of water to wine, he got better. He had a better perspective of the kids that he had. And he had a better perspective of the life he was living. And he had a better that happened in him. Not just a better around him, but a better inside of him. And the second half of his life was better. Water turning into wine. Tasteless. Flavor. Somebody needs to get their flavor back. That sounded cool to say, so I had to say it. But then it kind of sounded like a dad joke. But anyways. Water into wine. I want you to just think for a moment and let me not rush the moment. Let me not rush this to, 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 as a part of the program, but we present our water to you, God. We can't change ourselves. I mean, we can modify our behavior for a certain amount of time and hopefully it changes. We can't change ourselves. We can't change people around us because we have a hard time even changing ourselves. But what we can do is bring her water. Say, Lord, when, when we give you the water, you give us your spirit, the wine of the new covenant, and you empower us to live the life, your quality of life that we couldn't earn or achieve. My life is better. Not because I haven't been through things. My life is better. Not because I haven't been through stuff and tragedies and experienced some things that maybe some of you've experienced or some of the things you've experienced I haven't. Not because life's been perfect or there hasn't been tons of challenges, but it's better with Jesus. Walking with Jesus, it's better to have the life of Christ. It's be better as one day in his court than a thousand anywhere else. Father, today we bring our water. We bring our mundane, average, ordinary lives. We present them to you a living sacrifice. And we know that you have the power turn water into wine. So today as we pray over each and every individual here today, as you give your life to this new season, to Christ in this new season, your water becoming wine. Your bland marriage, your loss of passion in the relationship, we speak water to wine. Your lack of enthusiasm about what God's doing in this season, we speak water to wine.